This is a podcast about new crops. You're going to love it. Join us on The Cutting Edge, a podcast in search of new crops for Wisconsin. Uh, and actually, like uh, you said before, Carl, uh, you know, hops at one time were, you know, the number one, they were number one in Wisconsin. And I guess we uh, would like to, to kind of see, see that again. Uh, and uh, it's another viable alternative crop for Wisconsin. Welcome to Cutting Edge, a podcast in search of new crops for Wisconsin. My name is Carl Dooley, Extension Agricultural Agent in Buffalo County with UW-Madison Division of Extension, one of your hosts for today. And I'm George Kep, another of your hosts. I am the Columbia County Ag Educator for UW-Extension out of Madison, and uh, we're glad to have you with us today. Great. We're going to have a little fun today with another topic that's dear to all of our hearts, and that is hops in Wisconsin. Uh, George has grown a few hops in the past, haven't you? Yes, I have. I just kind of play about 50 feet of hops with a couple different varieties and just something to play so I can make a little homebrew from time to time. I think I put in my, um, my little hop yard about a quarter acre, I think it's 13 years ago, maybe 14, just trying to... Uh, to get a few hops started and see how they would do it do in Wisconsin and part of our research project. We uh, started about then um, in a UW Extension looking at hops as an alternative crop in Wisconsin, uh, but it's nothing original to Wisconsin as hops were grown a huge crop in the late 1800s, early 1900s in Wisconsin. In fact, at one time, Wisconsin was the largest hop grower in the nation because of some disease issues in the crop and uh, no fungicides to deal with them. Crop kind of moved west and continued to move west um, to areas that were drier and a little less issue with uh, fungal issues. So we're bringing them back and uh, today it's our pleasure to have two of our early hop growers in the state uh, join us in our podcast, Peggy and Randy Ernest. Peggy and Randy, why don't you introduce yourselves? I'm Randy Ernest with Fine Vine Farms. We're in Rosholt, Wisconsin. Uh, we've been growing hops for about 10 years now. And I'm Peggy Ernest, uh, same thing. I'm uh, pretty much uh, a hired, unhired hand. <laughs> I, I, we've been out to the, uh, to the Ernest Farm Fine Vine Hops uh, quite a few times and uh, that's not true. This is, uh, I think, a pretty equal partnership that Peggy and Randy have, and uh, they each have their own specialties in the business, so um, don't let Peggy try to fool you here. Uh, Great. So, uh, George, you had some ideas of, of yeah. uh, starting today. Well, I just kind of wanted to get us going today, uh, Peggy and Randy, and, and I was up there to help harvest last fall, and I know you do have a great partnership, and you guys are both so intricately involved in the business there. But today we wanted to talk a little bit about in many times in extension and in business, we recommend that projects or a business begin with the, the end in mind. So can you give us a little clue as to what was your vision for your hop business 
when you started it? Well, we had the land, we had moved to our property and built our house, and we had been leasing out the land for corn or hay to one of our local farmers here. And we wanted to do a little bit more with it than just, you know, leasing it out. We wanted to do some of our own stuff. And after with some research, we looked into the hops. And I guess our vision was to kind of develop and work with the group to kind of become a complete service of it. So originally, yeah, we had planned to put the hops in, um, grow it to about the size we're at now, which is a little under five acres. And then we also, right from the start initially, planned to have the ability to uh, pelletize and process and, and work with the other farmers in our area to help uh, pelletize and process and get a finished product out to the brewers. Okay, anything to add there, Peggy? Uh, I, and actually, like uh, you said before, Carl, uh, you know, hops at one time were, you know, the number one, they were number one in Wisconsin, and I guess we uh, would like to, to kind of see, see that again. Uh, and uh, it's another viable alternative crop for Wisconsin. Now, early on, you guys got started with, um, with, a, with a group. Uh, I think it was called the Midwest Hop and Barley Cooperative. Uh, can you tell a little bit about that and how that got started? And actually, the Midwest Hop and Barley Co-op is no longer called the Midwest Hop and Barley Co-op. We are still around, but now it is the Wisconsin Hops and Barley Co-op. Our one brewer that was involved with it from outside of Wisconsin wasn't any longer involved. So they decided to rename it a few years ago to the Wisconsin Hops and Barley Co-op. Well, it is actually a buyer's co-op. Uh, uh, basically, uh, at the beginning, there was a group of five brewers and uh, they were looking to use local Wisconsin hops uh, in their brews. And so uh, at the beginning, uh, they did purchase some of our hop rhizomes to plant and uh, we put them in. And then as the years went on, uh, we ended up you know, buying most of the, the plants or rhizomes. But what we do um, is we'll meet a couple times a year uh, discuss price uh, and uh, at the time they were um, uh, purchasing uh, the bulk of the hops that uh, the growers and there were probably three or four growers as well that we were growing uh, so um, it worked out well we had an we had a market basically for the bulk of our hops well, that's nice. So many times people grow things and they really don't have a place to go with it. And now what happens to your profitability? So, and exactly. And that we were very cool. fortunate. Yeah. Good. That helps keep that business going. So do you see that being kind of a strong business for you here into the future yet? Uh, you're saying with the co-op? The co-op, yes. 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 I would say, uh, that's gonna be our strongest uh, source of sales. We do sell some outside of the co-op now. Um, the production levels we've got, initially our production levels with all of the growers put together wasn't high enough 
that it was really an issue to have too many hops. Now we've reached points where we've got more hops than the brewers necessarily want of some varieties. So we do sell some outside, but yeah, it's still going to be the strongest portion of our sales is through that co-op. How did Randy and Peggy, how did you gain your knowledge in, in the hop growing to the agronomic knowledge and the business knowledge with, uh, for hop production? How did you go about getting that experience and that knowledge? It all came from the UW Extension in your seminars. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. I, I don't think that's totally true, but uh, yeah, I think you did some other work yourselves. Uh, it was a, it actually a large part because there were various speakers, the handouts. Uh, we did a lot of reading, uh, research out of the you know Pacific Northwest, anything we could get our hands on. And other than that, it was just a lot of trial and error, a lot of trial and error, yeah. um, you know, flying by the seat of our pants. Uh, if it doesn't work one year, try it different the next, so. Yeah, we pretty much ended up with a library of different research materials and books and papers, things we downloaded, uh, things from out west, uh, things from Germany, really all over that we used as resources. Um, you mentioned your, uh, before we started, you mentioned your sprayer training. Um, I took the DATCAP sprayer training, learned about that. I highly recommend that for people because uh, Wisconsin still has the issues with uh, fungus, funguses and you have to deal with that. So I think that helped a lot learning in those aspects, but just overall, communicating, talking with other hop growers, participating in, you know, the different events, um, I think has really helped us out a lot. Yes, they do. Uh, could you guys, now, you, now you've um, expanded up to this about five acres, five and a half acres, uh, talk a little bit about what varieties you've expanded into now and, and maybe a little bit of why those varieties right now. Um, we started off with um, Willamette and Magnum because one was a, Willamette is an aroma hop and Magnum is a bittering hop. And we wanted to try, you know, a little bit of each. Uh, it's kind of what the brewers use. Um, basically, uh, just to try, you know, it's like they seem to use Willamettes quite a bit and and magnums were a little bit different varieties, so it's like, well, let's try those. Uh, we've expanded up to having uh, nuggets, uh, U.S. Goldings, uh, Challengers, U.S. Challengers, Mount Hoods, uh, a few tea makers, uh, some Sterlings, uh, some Saz. We had Centennials up until this year, and we took out all of the Centennials this year, or are in the process of taking those out. Now, why is that? They're a popular hop, Randy. Uh, well, they're not as popular as we thought they were. And I think there's other growers in Wisconsin that are taking some of their Centennials out as well. Um, they're also not a... Uh, Easy, well, in some ways they're an easy hop to grow, but they also tend to be more work than some of the others. 
And they also have a tendency to be very susceptible to disease. We, got, we were putting more effort into those centennials than any other variety and getting actually less results on sales from them. So we decided it's just, we were done with them. We didn't wanna deal with them any longer. So we're gonna replace those with something else. Sure, I should have said they're really popular, it seems like in Michigan. Um, and I'm really glad you said that they're very susceptible to disease because I also started with some centennials and I think after two years, I had killed them all already. So it's uh, thanks for clarifying that disease issue. Uh, when, you, when you're looking at, at what hops the plant, uh, what are your considerations? You mentioned disease. Uh, how do you find out what brewers might like? Can you, can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, it's, it's tough. It kind of uh, has to be a communication back and forth with the potential brewers that are going to buy. So for us, we do have the advantage. We have a very good relationship with our brewers that we're working with. So there is some stuff that we put in on the request of brewers. There's uh, a variety that we have in that probably only one brewer is gonna want, and that's the challengers. So it's like, well, I wouldn't recommend putting that in for other people because it doesn't have a real popular following. Um, so it's, it, it's tough deciding, but like you said, uh, certainly look for disease resistance. Um, things that grow well in Wisconsin. Um, if you're just starting out, you might wanna try with something that is known to be very easy to grow in Wisconsin and very disease resistant, and that's Cascade. Um, they're not, a lot of people have Cascade. There's been quite a few of them and some people are taking them back up because they couldn't necessarily sell them because of, um, I think that'll go back and forth. I think there'll the demand for them will go back up. And, but we recommend the people starting out, well, try some Cascades because it'll really help you get started growing. Now we say that we actually never did grow Cascades, but because um, we've actually chosen some varieties that fewer people are growing. We've, some of what we got can be a little tougher to grow. Even the things we started out with, with Magnum and Willamette, um, now that we're going with them, they grow well but it took us a while to really learn how to grow them. And they're not real high yield hops either. So that's something for people to look at as well. The other thing I would say as far as when people are choosing hops, if they're, uh, they certainly wanna have multiple varieties so that they're not putting all of their eggs in one basket, but also look at having uh, when the harvest comes up. Don't put in all hops that are early harvest or all hops that are late harvest. You want to spread it out, and we've certainly planned it around that a bit, that we've got some uh, hops that are definitely early, Willamette's are fairly early harvest, and our Magnums are a fairly late harvest. Now, we've been adjusting that some, but uh, it's, yeah, we've kind of gone with that as well. So there's a lot of different aspects that have gone into this selection. And that's part of what happens as you grow and learn and, and and to, to manage the hops here. And I like the fact that you have worked very closely and, and developed some good relationships with your brewers, help them and help you know what to grow so you can provide what they need, and also your relationship with the Wisconsin Hop and Barley Co-op. So those are all good things for people to know that 
to keep that end in mind, um, you need those personal relationships with these people to help this fit. So the one other question that goes with that then is, you know, as you do this, it isn't like you put hops in the, some rhizomes in the ground this spring and I have a wonderful, bountiful harvest this fall. How long does it take for you to get those hops kind of up into full production? They say uh, about three years to bring them really up into full production. Um, it can vary a little bit. We put in our first rhizomes in 2010 and really had our first harvest in 2012, which was a small harvest. Um, I would say from what we've seen in Wisconsin, it's probably longer than three years to really get them established up to the yield that they're going to have. And maybe it takes even longer because uh, right now we've been at it for 10 years and most of the varieties we don't have to the yield they have out west. So maybe it, maybe they just haven't fully matured yet. I'm not sure there. So, <laughs> And our environment's just a little bit different than some of that Pacific Northwest too. So we've got a little different challenges along the way. But in along the same line then, okay, so it takes three years or so to get the full harvest, maybe a couple more. And already you've said that you've taken out the, the uh, centennials. So how long do most of your hop varieties, do you expect them to be good producers? The plant, the varieties will fall out of favor with brewers before the plants themselves really, you know, come to an end. So that's, and that's why we're changing out centennials. The changes we've made have been more on you know, to more align with what the brewers want, so. Yeah, and you should point, oh, go ahead, Randy. Uh, I was gonna say, so yeah, it does take a while to get them established, but it gives you some time to, you know, really get the production out of them as well then. And for those listeners that uh, don't quite understand, we, we talk about them being perennials, but they're not like a tree or a shrub or even like a grapevine. These die all the way back to the ground every every year in the fall, and then they grow from uh, shoots from the crown, kind of like alfalfa for those that are familiar with uh, that grow back every year. Um, and maybe that's a maybe that's an angle we go to next. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit about what happens just real briefly in a growing season. What's the first thing you have to do in in spring? Well, first thing in the spring is. Uh, we can get out there, you know, basically when the snow comes off the ground. Uh, we uh, tend to clean off the, the growth, old growth from the, the prior year, make sure the, uh, the, we have our hops uh, hilled on hills, basically small hills, like almost the size of potato hills for drainage. Uh, clean those off, uh, then we'll apply a, a pre-emergent herbicide uh, and when it's dry enough uh, we can get out there and uh, hang twine and we have a trellis system and every year we have to uh, hang twine uh, from the top of the trellis to the bottom to the plant of the, to the hop plant and then uh, when that's done, once the hops are approximately, oh, 18 inches, 20 inches tall, we start training them up the twine and then they'll get it. 
and then uh, eventually they'll grow up to the top of the cable, uh, which is approximately 18, ours are about 18 feet. Yeah, it's good to point out this isn't like a trellis you have in your garden or for your grapevines. They're, they're generally between 18 and 20 feet tall, um, pretty elaborate cable system, and it's a, a pretty good size post that you have to, to hold this all up. Uh, uh, so, okay, now you, you have them strung. What other kind of um, processes or do you have to go through throughout the growing season um, to keep them healthy, to get a decent harvest, etc.? Well, uh, throughout the season, we, on a seven to 10 day basis, we're putting out fungicide to protect from downy mildew, powdery mildew. Um, What's a new one? Diaporthia. Diaporthia. Um, then there will also be some sprays for uh, herbicide uh, and weed control and also for sucker control. So once the plants are up and climbing, well, they're still putting out a lot of additional shoots and those shoots all take nitrogen. So we actually end up burning those shoots back down as well. So that's that's the bigger part of the herbicide um, than weed control is to actually get rid of that dense mat where disease can develop as well. So we're getting rid of that. So it's the spraying and scouting throughout the season. Um, fertilizer as well. And then fertilizing as well. We do actually mostly liquid fertilizer, but we also do spray uh, foliar fertilizers on ours as well. Um, so throughout the season, yeah, it's a lot of spraying, fertilizing, scouting, watching for insects, any problems that might be developing, and that nature. So they say that uh, people should be in their hop yards uh, every day looking at them. And I think that probably has helped us because we do have the easy access to walk out and look at them every day to see if something's going on. Okay, good. Um, do you also do some irrigation for your hops? And if so, do you kind of fertigate along the way or are you putting down granular or liquid fertilizer? And talk about that irrigation a little bit, please. We have a drip irrigation system that we put in pretty much right from the start. 2012, we got it in. Basically 2012, I think a lot of people will remember was a dry year. And we got that installed in order to Otherwise, we would have probably lost all of our hops. And a lot of people with the dry weather that didn't have their irrigation and did lose a lot of hops. But so we've had the, the drip irrigation in right from the beginning. It's really recommended to use drip irrigation. You don't want overhead or turned style because you don't want the hops, the plant getting wet. You want to get them dry to avoid disease. So. And yes, we do do fertigation. We put out the majority of our fertilizer through our drip irrigation system. Um, everything from the nitrogen, the potassium, the micros, we even do some lime out through our drip irrigation, which you have to be careful with. Uh, you really wanna make sure you get it thinned out and flush the system well, because the lime, even though it's, you know, it does dissolve and get in. It mixes with the water. I don't think I can truly say it dissolves in the water, but uh, 
you got to really watch it or you will plug up some emitters. Randy, you said going out to the yard to scout. You talked a fair amount disease, and we won't go dive too deep in all the nitty-gritty about diseases and hops, but uh, you're scouting for insects also. Any real issues on insects that you've had over the years? Uh, probably the two, um, the two insects that give us the most problems are uh, potato leaf hoppers and uh, spider mites. Uh, leaf hoppers will come in. We're pretty close, uh, I'd say about around the 1st of July to expect those. Uh, they'll uh, come in and uh, start, uh, they'll be on the underside of the leaves. They start to suck the juice out of the leaves and basically turn, there'll be a, a yellow band around each hop leaf and they call that uh, hopper burn. Uh, spider mites will probably come on a little bit later, probably close to harvest sometime in August. Uh, those prevent uh, a, a little, they're more problematic. Uh, they sometimes can get into the hop cone uh, and cause damage. Uh, so we're, uh, we're vigilant about getting uh, those taken care of uh, right uh, base, uh, you know, they'll, there's a threshold, but uh, we watch them pretty closely. The so you, you haven't had to deal with uh, Japanese beetles in your location? Uh, there are a few, uh, maybe just a handful. Uh, they do not present a, a major problem for us. Well, with yeah. only a handful, they're kind of pretty. You can deal with that. But uh, some of our growers in other parts of the state have, have uh, pretty pretty devastating results from uh, overpopulations of Japanese beetles. So, and they're a little bit hard to kill because they're, they're hanging around up there 20 feet in the air. So good for you guys for not having too serious of an issue with those. So, so we're about up to harvest time, are we? With the, the schedule for the year, um, time of year to harvest and kind of what, is, what does harvest look like for you guys? We cut the entire plant down and load them on the trailers. Uh, and what we do is we go through and cut the base of the plant first and get that loose. And then we come back through with the trailers and we actually use a scissor lift um, up on the top and we cut them and load them onto the trailers and harvest or haul them into our harvest room um, in our facility. And we have a wolf harvester and we load them into the harvester and feed them through. The harvester has stripper fingers that tear off the cones, the leaves, and clean off the bind and then the harvester has dribble belts and fans that really helps separate out the cones from the leaves and the other debris and then once they're harvested um, they go immediately into dryers or kilns where we dry them down to 10 to 12 percent moisture uh, and from there we bale them up and put them into cold storage until we're able to pelletize. Made that sound really easy, Randy, um, that <laughs> process. Uh, let's back up just a little bit though. You said a wolf harvester, is that something you just go down to your local implement dealer and pick up or what was, uh, where, where wolf, where do they come from and what's the process of getting one? Well, the wolf harvesters pretty much all come from uh, Germany, Poland, Czechoslovakia, that area. 
the models that are being used in Wisconsin and the Midwest are all pretty much from the 70s. Um, they do make newer ones and have made newer ones, but pretty much for the size of field that we're having around here right now, they're all pretty much the Wolf 140s, 170s, that range. And so what's happened is people are going, there's importers that are going around Germany. I think they've pretty much bought up all of them available in Germany and Poland and a few of the countries in that area. So they're starting to move further out and they're buying them up, importing them to the US. And they actually cut the harvester in half and put them into shipping containers to bring them over here. Um, and then when they get back in the US, um, either the end owner or somebody has to weld the harvesters back together and set them up. So yeah, the harvesters are a little interesting. It's, uh, that is pretty much the predominant use, uh, harvesters right now. There are also harvesters that are being made in the US as well. Um, Mobile, mobile yeah, mo harvesters. more mobile harvesters. Our harvester is stationary. Um, the wolf harvesters don't move. You cut the crop and take them out to them. Even the mobile harvesters, you cut down the plants and take to the mobile harvester. It's just that you're able to put the mobile harvester in the field and run it from a tractor PTO or some other source of power of that nature. Sure, sure. One other thing that I've noticed is rather interesting amongst the growers, Randy, and I think you'll attest to this, <clears throat> is the fact that since you're using machines from 1970 era, and they're from a foreign country, we all know, engineers, everybody else, that every time you have a machine, you have breakdowns. And so to fabricate parts or to get parts and share parts amongst growers, you guys probably have developed relationships too. To help keep those machines going because you're kind of a short window of harvest uh, that you need to keep that machine up and running. So is that kind of how you manage the part situation with a machine like that? We've found a few sources for parts. One of the nice things with the harvesters, uh, Wolf did very good as the bearings are common bearings. They're not specific to their harvester. So there's a lot of common parts. And we've started to build up uh, collections of spare parts, spare bearings. Um, I have a spare uh, V-belt for every V-belt and it's got probably eight to 10 different V-belts on this thing. Um, so I've got spares for all of the belts. Um, the main uh, dribble belts and things like that, we have found a company out of Canada that can get us the belts. We've actually had to replace two different belts on our harvester now. Um, one of the, the biggest belt that we put on it, which goes through the whole machine, we were actually able to buy from uh, the original uh, person who imported the harvester, the company that was doing the import uh, out of, they're actually, they're involved in the hopped industry. They're out of the Pacific Northwest. So, but yeah, so we're locating and got kind of a source of parts with it. Also, yeah, like you said, it's a short window. So we're trying to get backup parts and have them on the shelf too. Yeah, I look at the wolf harvester as a, as a lot of farm 
I call them farmer engineers, uh, farmers that are great mechanics and like to build things. These uh, wolf harvesters from the 70s are like an ideal project for those farmer engineers and you get a lot of opportunities to work on them. Uh, you mentioned that you do some pelletizing. Could you talk a little bit about that process? Um, yeah, once we, as I had said, we put everything into a coolers um, uh, to store it until we're done harvesting. Once we're done harvesting, we might take a week or two off and then we start doing the pelletizing. And we actually have a licensed food processing facility where we do the pelletizing. But the process of pelletizing, essentially, we bring the bales out of storage, we break up the bale and feed it into a hammer mill, very similar hammer mill. In fact, the hammer mill we're using uh, is sold very common for uh, hammer milling corn and feed. And so it's the same, same hammer mill. Um, from the hammer mill, it goes to our pellet mill. There's some steps and augers in between, but it's more or less just process or uh, material movement type thing. But it goes to the pellet mill then, and in the pellet mill, the hammer mill product goes into a die with rollers in the die, and the rollers push the tops out through the die to form uh, quarter inch diameter pellets. The pellets are the form of hop that the brewers generally use. Uh, 15 years ago, it was almost the only form of hops the brewers used. Um, there is some new things. They're starting to do more with extracts and different things as far as uh, different forms of pellets and things now. Um, at the beginning of the growing in Wisconsin, they did more wet hop. Some brewers still do some wet hop where you put the whole cone in and there's still some stuff with whole cones, but we don't get, we pretty much pelletize everything. It stores better that way. So, um, so once the pellets are formed, we put them into a vacuum and vacuumed and nitrogen flushed mylar bags. And then from uh, once they're sealed up in the bags, they go into freezers and we freeze them until they go to the brewers then. And they will keep for several years once pelletized and frozen. Now this is, uh, you're not just doing your own, this is an additional business you have, isn't it? Um, where you're pelletizing for other growers as well? Yes, um, and we talked about the Wisconsin Hop and Barley Co-op. Um, when we started working with the Wisconsin Hop and Barley Co-op, we, and you said, okay, what our vision? Well, our vision was at that time, they didn't have pelletizing capability. They actually didn't have harvesting capability for the most part either. They were hand picking, um, which is a good way to lose friends uh, to have them come over and help hand pick. So we do the pelletizing for the Wisconsin Hops and Barley Co-op. We also pelletize for some other uh, growers throughout Wisconsin. Um, and it's not our main focus to pelletize for other people. It's main, you know, mostly for us and for the co-op. But we, yes, we've certainly pelletized for some other people as well. One thing that uh, George had mentioned, he was up last year helping to harvest. We've done this a few times. 
you've been cooperating on a couple different projects with UW Madison Extension, the most recent one being a, a hop nitrogen research trial. Why, why is that important and why is it important to cooperate in some of those trials um, in general? As you mentioned, we've been working with the UW on uh, the nitrogen testing and we've got two rows, two different varieties that we've actually dedicated for them to do nitrogen research on. There's a couple of other hop growers in Wisconsin that are also participating in the research. And it's, I think it's real good to, uh, hops is coming back so new in Wisconsin there's really need to evaluate, okay, what are the nutrient needs in Wisconsin? Um, people have traditionally just put on what they were out in the Pacific Northwest. Well, is that right? It's, you know, we have different soil types here than they have out there. We have different growing conditions and seasons. So the UW is really looking at that and studying, okay, what is the right amount of hops to, or I'm sorry, the right amount of nitrogen to put on the hops. So I think that has been uh, real educational for us. And I think uh, hopefully it's being helpful and educational for the rest of the growers in Wisconsin as well. Um, yeah, I think it's been great. It's been great working with you and also um, two other growers in the state on the nitrogen trials. Um, one of the things we should mention is we don't have any research facilities. We don't have a research hop yard in Wisconsin. Uh, and so we do rely heavily on, on grower cooperation for any of the projects that we've done early on. It was mainly focused around disease. Now we're looking at a little bit on nutrition, uh, soil nutrition, plant nutrition. One of the things we didn't talk much about was, was money. Um, uh, now Michigan State put out a paper a couple of years ago that pointed out about fifteen dollars to $18,000 an acre to establish a hop yard. Uh, do you think that's close? Does it fit in kind of with your experience um, on your own hop yard and, and talking with others? Uh, it, it's probably in the ballpark. Uh, we, you know, with, with Randy's background um, in mechanical engineering, there are, there's a lot of things that he's done uh, to kind of set us up that, you know, uh, other people aren't as fortunate to have had. Uh, one of the things, well, when we first started, we had, to, we had no tra tractor, we had to buy a tractor and a trailer. Uh, as for our supplies, uh, and I think we're still doing it, we've been on a, a giant scavenger hunt uh, for the most part to kind of provide the infrastructure for our hop yard. For instance, all of our utility, or most, I can't say all, most of our utility poles uh, are from the Baraboo Ammunition Plant in Sauk County. Uh, we just happened to be down there uh, years ago and found out that they were remediating the land, uh, remo removing all the structures and poles and all everything on the land and they were holding auctions for equipment. So we actually bought lots of utility poles. Uh, in fact, we bought enough lots that we couldn't haul them back on our trailer. It would have taken Randy probably a year to get them back. So we had to, to get a, a, a trucker to, to bring them back. 
so that's one thing. Uh, another thing is uh, for our cabling, a lot of our cabling we used or found uh, used elevator cable uh, from somewhere up in Minneapolis. So we use that. Uh, just, you know, things like that that we've been able to, to use or repurpose. Um, but yeah, I'd say anywhere from 10 to 20,000 per acre is a, is a good rule of thumb. It's kind of a broad range, but it but really it, depends on how people are getting started up and whether or not you want to take into account some of that other equipment and stuff. Um, yeah, I, I would say that their range, I guess I've seen people quote lower ranges as well, um, but I think that's probably in the ballpark. Yeah, and for labor, we've done everything ourselves except, you know, basically getting a trucker to haul poles back. We've put in all the all the poles ourselves, all the cabling, uh, so that saved us some money as well. Yeah, and actually I know of numerous yards that uh, they actually hired people to come in and set all of the poles and set up the system as well and hired out to do all of the irrigation. So I can imagine those are easily running more in that uh, 16 to $20,000 range to establish. Sure. And, and one thing I'd like to just throw in too is I've been to different hop yards uh, up at <clears throat> Randy and Peggy's place. You're working high in the air sometimes, you're working low down on the ground. You guys are using a scissors lift. So the, the safety aspect of what you're doing there for putting up those cables and harvesting your vines, using that scissors lift is a much more safe way of doing that than some other op operations that I've seen. So I wanna commend you on that a bit. It's an important piece of equipment for doing that higher type work. Yeah, it actually has been. And that's one of the initial investments that Peg uh, kind of missed there as well. Yeah, we got a, we were able to get that again, scavenger hunt and pretty much bought it on an auction website, uh, site on scene. But yeah, we got pretty lucky on picking that up and it has just been such a, a yeah a lifesaver such a help for us and i think you what you're talking about is pretty typical again with a lot of our alternative crops that uh, cutting edge crops people have to be creative they have to be creative with equipment and they have to be uh, creative on how they get these things established if they want to have a have a chance of making it as a business or in some ways even as a hobby so let's let's talk a little bit about future you guys uh do you see, where do you see the hop, uh, hop industry being in Wisconsin, you know, five years down the road, 10 years down the road, continue to grow, uh, profitable business to be in? Um, what do you think? Crystal ball time. Uh, it's, uh, it's an unknown. Uh, hopefully as we learn more uh, with, uh, you know, the extension people that we're working with, our hope is that it will make hop growing easier for other growers, uh, more efficient. Uh, maybe you know if we can learn more about fungicides to take care of that pressure. Uh, a, a lot of people have given up just because of the disease. So uh, you know, let's hope that uh, we can maybe you know figure something out there. Profitable. Uh, I think it has to do a lot with relationships with brewers. 
you know, maybe if people drink more beer, yeah, okay, I don't know. Uh, Randy, your thoughts? Yeah, as far as on the future of it, I think with some of the things that have been going on in uh, the last few years with, there's a few more large yards kind of getting started up. Um, I think those are probably starting to do a little better. Um, of course, you got a large yard, you got that much more overhead. Now you're talking employees you have to pay as well. But I think they're starting to look more at that scale where it's probably going to work out. Um, is there opportunities for the small people? Yeah, I think there's still opportunities for yards that are a couple of acres, you know, maybe smaller as well. Um, it, it's just to develop the right relationships and kind of figure stuff out. Um, and profitable, it takes a little while. Um, you know, okay, we might be able to say that, you know, we're making some profit on this now. Um, are we making a living profit on it yet? Eh, maybe not, but... Uh, Randy still works full time. Yeah, I still work yeah. full time, so it's, uh, yeah. Uh, all of that is still a little bit of a work in process as far as where it's going to go in the future. And I think, I it's think it'll be around in 10 years though. Great. And I think it's really important. Now you said a key word with relationships and relationships with brewers. And, and I think it's maybe one place where Wisconsin didn't do as well as some other states. Uh, we didn't seem to establish those relationships uh, with the brewers, the grower brewer relationship. I think we're getting there. Um, I think it's it's coming on now the last couple of years, but initially don't think we were quite there. It's uh, hops are a little different. You can't sell them at your, your local co-op. You can't, there's not that type of market out there. So building your own, building that relationship, really, really important. Maybe one other thing for me that I, that I thought of, what about competing, competing with other states, Pacific Northwest? I mean, that's where about 90% of our hops in the United States are grown. Maybe they're down to about 85% now. What do you think? I would say uh, there is no competing. I don't think we really compete with the Pacific Northwest from that aspect. Maybe we can, well, I don't know that we even necessarily compete with the other small states um, because a lot of what we see and part of the reason we got involved originally, I guess I didn't really mention this, was the brewers looking for locally grown product, you know, and that's how we really got kind of started. So I don't know that we're competing all that much, even with the smaller states. Um, competing with other growers within Wisconsin, I don't know that we're even competing with other growers so much, you know, in Wisconsin. I think there's opportunities out there. Um, granted, um, people still have hops left. A lot of, you know, numerous growers in Wisconsin probably still have some hops left. Um, we certainly have some hops left because uh, we had a very good year last year. But uh, yeah, uh, we didn't get everything sold, but yeah, we're getting there. It's getting down there for inventory now. It's been a little slower selling the last few months, but uh, um, so, but I still don't think that the growers are competing. I think there's plenty of opportunity out there yet. So competition, it's not really where the problems or anything lie right now. Well, I would really like to express my gratitude to both Peggy and Randy um, for today and actually throughout uh, the years now that we've been working together, uh, a partnership in, in doing some study and 
doing some uh, some projects and, and doing our annual annual meetings. Uh, you guys have been great. You've hosted field days, et cetera. You're a real asset to to Wisconsin and a real asset to the um, Wisconsin hop growers uh, organizations and just as a, as a group of people. So sincerely want to thank both of you for joining us today. And we thank, you, thank yes. you. You've been, uh, you guys have been just so supportive. Uh, it, it helps immensely and we truly appreciate it. Yes, we do appreciate it and thank you. Um, hopefully we can keep all of the collaboration and going forward. Brought to you by the University of Wisconsin-Madison Division of Extension.